Welcome to Fridays on the Fly. I'm Ward. We are creative people, the creative projects. Sometimes we talk about that, among other things. Be forewarned, sometimes content or language may be inappropriate for children. Welcome to episode 428 of Fridays on the Fly. This is the last episode of 2023. Not the last episode of the podcast. We will keep going. But wow, last episode of the year. 52 episodes this year, I assume. Yeah, could we have missed any episodes? 52. So that means next year we'll be nearing 500 total episodes. Wild. This episode, it is the best and worst movies and TV I've watched this year. And so the way I do it is very simple. It's not by what was released this year. It's simply by what I watched this year. So that gets a broad swath of all kinds of movies from all kinds of time periods. It's just what I watched. Last year, I had a huge top list because I decided to go back and watch all my all-time favorite movies. So I had a very big list. Didn't do that this year. But I did watch, as of right now, I've watched 190 movies this year. And so this is my top 15 and my bottom three picks from the year. You know, if you notice, I try not to watch bad movies so I can help it. But also, I don't watch a movie just based on reviews. I watch a movie based on what sounds good, what sounds interesting. But with the writer strike, with the actor strike this year, there weren't a lot of new movies that came out. It halted new movies with the writers. It halted the new movies with the actors. And then, too, even promoting movies. Since the actors couldn't promote the movies since they're on strike, you know, it just delayed everything, even things that were complete. So there weren't a lot of new movies. I ended up watching, you know, I haven't gone back and tracked it, but. I would estimate I watched a lot more older movies this year. Movies I'd seen before. It's just been a long time. I wanted to revisit. Uh, and a few older movies I just hadn't seen. You know, some some of those like favorite, you know, pop culture ones that everybody talks about. I'm like, hey, you know, I've never seen that. Don't really, never had a strong desire. But everybody talks about that. I'm going to go ahead and knock it out. So that is what is going on. Uh, I did watch a lot of older movies due to everything going on. And I did. I had an honorable mention this year just because it didn't quite make my top list. But it was notable nonetheless, and I wanted wanted to talk about it. I often I'll try to remember like top scene of the year. That is tough. Sometimes I just I forget. I don't think about it. But I will say this: the pie eating scene in a ghost story was silent, long, and yet so full of emotion. Amazing scene. That would be my top scene. I mean, from what I remember, you know, that's kind of the caveat. Like just some of these things, I just can't remember them all. All right, let's get to the list, because that's why you're here. That's what you want to hear. This is no particular order. Really, this is the order in which I watched them this year. It's chronological order of when I watched them. So, the top movies. Memento. This is from 2000. A man with short-term memory loss attempts to track down his wife's murderer. That is a very simple premise. But this movie, it perfectly matches an unusual story presentation with the plots that we experience the same confusion as the protagonist. He has no short-term memory, and this movie is filmed in a way that we have no short-term memory. It starts this bewildering movie as we see the conclusion first, and then we backtrack. Like, the scenes play in reverse order. It works very well. These pieces, they slowly begin to fit together, and we finally see, at the very end of the movie, what started the entire plot, and it's a pretty cool revelation. This just provides an experience that so movie, so no movie can match this experience, and rarely do we get an experience where, like, in tandem, what's happening in the plot, we're getting to experience. Like, rarely do you get that. And the thing is, no movie, any movie tried to recreate this, you'd be like, oh, you're just copying Memento. It can't be done again. It was awesome. Just a, a neat effect that becomes a really cool movie. Uh, an experience. 
Hero, this is from 2002. A defense officer, nameless, is summoned by the king of Jin regarding his succession, regarding his success of terminating three warriors. I'd seen this movie before. I'd seen Memento before. There's a lot of movies on the list I've seen before. But Hero is just excellent from start to finish. The visuals and the fighting style, to the Waxia style fighting, it's certainly unique, very stylized, but it feels completely appropriate in context as this warrior is recounting his tales of valor, of bravery. Uh, and of course, like you feel like he's going to embellish a little bit and talk about how he was jumping across, you know, uh, leaves and clouds and all these crazy things. Each fight captures the energy of the moment, while the Waxia style adds his dreamlike quality. It just it works very well together. This is completely engaging, and it's a joy to watch a movie where all facets work in tandem to produce something truly great. I mean, just the visuals, the story, the plot, everything. And the visuals, they are certainly great. The story is just, it's fantastic. It's a great foundation for everything we see. Hero, it is awesome. The Prestige from 2006. After a tragic accident, two stage magicians in 1890s London engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. Man, this is, of course, I feel like I'm going to talk, I'm going to say the same thing about all these movies about, and you know, this one, I'm going to say it's such an incredible experience. All these movies are incredible experiences. That's why they're on my top list. This weaves a tale of two feuding magicians trying to one-up each other. They become obsessive and they end up destroying their lives and trying to destroy the other's life. And of course, this movie is the how of the trick. They're trying to create the ultimate illusion. And this gives us the how. How would you do it? And we're wondering how it's done, just like some of the characters in the movie. And just like a great magic trick, it's the reveal that completely blows you away. This is all about misdirection. And watching this a second time is nearly as fun as the first time. Because this is the second time I've seen it. And so I knew, I knew the answer. But watching it and trying to pick out the answer and see if I could, you know, how what clues are there was a lot of fun. The second time around, you're looking at this completely differently. And it's like the movie tells us, we want to be fooled. Great movie. Almost Famous, 2000. Given the chance to write a story for Rolling Stone magazine about an upcoming rock band, a high school boy accompanies them on their concert tour in the early 1970s. So this came out in 2000. I probably watched it a lot long after that, maybe 2000, maybe 2001. Didn't think much of it, but wanted to rewatch it because you just hear people talk about it. People hold it in high regard. And man, it was a lot better the same time I saw it. You know, sometimes you just need a little bit of years on you to appreciate a movie. Everyone in this movie is chasing a dream and a feeling, and the movie captures the energy and mood of being a kid on the verge of adulthood and a band on the edge of stardom perfectly. It certainly feels like a memoir, but it develops these characters and provides us insights that we know how they feel and what they want. This captures what rock was in the 70s in a way few movies can. This is a love letter to rock and being 16. William's love, William's main character, his love of rock is in part a rebellion from his mother. She's also the reason he's disciplined enough to remember why he's on tour. He is writing a story. Everyone is pursuing a dream, and that leads to some sobering, sobering realizations. Everything, everywhere, all at once. A middle-aged Chinese immigrant is swept up into an insane adventure in which she alone can save existence by exploring other universes, other universes and connecting with the lives she could have led. Man, this movie is such a wild ride. While I could describe scenes that sound wacky, in the context of the movie, it completely works. It makes sense. 
This manages to surprise and entertain while exploring life's questions in a thoughtful manner. This is such a big movie, and it's a delight to experience. This is, I don't know, it's the end of the world stakes, right? The end, the world is ending. This can be so funny and so silly despite that. I've seen bits and pieces of ideas in this movie from other movies, but with this one, it pulls it together so well. Few movies manage to challenge, entertain, and joke like this one. All the actors are absolutely phenomenal, and this movie is just so well-crafted. It's so smart. It starts great, and it only gets better from there. The Green Mile, back from 1999. The lives of guards on death row are affected by one of their charges, a black man accused of child murder and rape, yet who has a mysterious gift. This is just as good as I remember it, if not better. It may be three hours long, but it doesn't feel like it. It's a great story, and the writing carries this. Each scene builds on the last until the conclusion. We feel exactly what this intends every step of the way. It's a fantastical story that never feels unbelievable. There are quite a few characters, but they are each unique enough, and they complement the story. It's just really well made, and the writing is exceptional. Cast Away, 2000, another Tom Hanks movie. A FedEx executive undergoes a physical and emotional transformation after crash landing on a deserted island. This is a great adventure. It brings to life what it would be like to be on a deserted island. And not only does this feel accurate, this movie does a great job of never showing or explaining too much. It provides just what we need to see, and that makes the pacing feel quicker than the runtime might imply. This is a movie about how the human spirit perseveres, how it copes, and how it faces challenges. This movie doesn't need to end the story with some cute twist. Life keeps moving, so does Chuck, the main character. He survives. I just, writing is phenomenal. 30 Days a Night from 2007. Man, so far I think I've seen every, oh, you know what? I've not seen everywhere, everything everywhere all at once before, but a lot of these movies I've seen before. 30 Days a Night. After an Alaskan town is plunged into darkness for a month, it is attacked by a bloodthirsty gang of vampires. This might be my favorite horror movie, not because it's scary or tries to shock, but because it's relentless. This avoids the common horror movie tropes and makes the movie about survival. It's just the what these characters must survive that pushes this into the horror genre. It's an underrated gem. i big fan of this movie. I don't hear it talked about enough. This is bleak and sparse with a simple premise that connects because it gives you more than enough time to think about what you do in that situation while letting that hopelessness sink in. I mean, you know, you watch it, you think, oh man, you know, this is what I do. This is what this person should do. And it gives you plenty of time to like really let that sink in, really let you consider it. A History of Violence from 2005. A mild-mannered man becomes a local hero through an act of violence, which sets off repercussions that will shake his family to its very core. What I like about this movie is the compact narrative and the probing questions it asks. A man has to confront his violent past, one he thought he had buried. Things like that never stay hidden, and with each scene, violence surges, straying farther from the image of a peaceful family man. By the end, nothing is the same. This is how violence follows you, how it escalates upon provocation. The title has a double meaning. We're looking at Tom's history and also a broad history of how a violent act is never singular. Tom has to confront his past, but in the process, he destroys his present. The future is uncertain, but it will never be the same as it was. A ghost story from 2017. In this senior exploration of legacy, love, loss, and the enormity of existence, a recently deceased white-sheeted ghost returns to a suburban home to try to reconnect with his bereft wife. I like movies that push creative boundaries. There aren't many movies like this that are so quiet and focused. This is a movie about a ghost watching the world go by, and in turn, we watch this ghost. 
This doesn't conform to what's typical. There's little dialogue and even less action. It makes you wonder what this movie is supposed to be, but it also gives you time to speculate and guess. We don't know what this movie is, but we have time to think about it and ponder that question. And there's so many movies that you don't know what the movie's supposed to be, and it never gives you time to really consider that and think about it and draw your own conclusion. We wonder what it means to live and die while watching a man in a sheet. Like, that's the crux of this movie, and I get a lot of credit for that. Tar from 2022. Set in the international world of Western classical music, the film centers on Lydia Tarr, widely considered one of the greatest living composer-conductors and the very first female director of a major German orchestra. This is gripping from the first moment, and it never lets go. This is a powerful movie that doesn't hold your hand as we see someone with so much stature and then so much lost. She's at the peak, and she tumbles all the way down. The script and the direction is great, and Blanchette is amazing. There's so much happening off-screen in this movie. Plights we ascribe to Tar that we are no, that are never seen, but we assume they've happened. Tar isn't likable, but we do get a glimpse of how much work it took to rise to our industry. The fall is her own fault. We're left to speculate whether she became too comfortable or too egotistical. Pulp Fiction 1994. The lives of two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster, and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwine in four tales of violence and redemption. I don't remember what made me want to watch this. I mean, I've seen Pulp Fiction probably a few times, but I just wanted to watch it. I think part of it is I just didn't have this movie on my website, and I've got most of Tarantino's other movies reviewed on my site, so I figure I might as well add it to the bunch. This is a movie that you have to watch. I mean, while it put Tarantino at the forefront of the industry, its value is in how it makes an action movie around inconsequential dialogue. These criminals face some bizarre problems that this movie treats quite lightly. The performances are amazing, though that's boosted by a very sharp script. Composed of intertwining stories, every scene is engrossing, each performance is enchanting. It's not just good, this is a great movie. Because a lot of times you'll get a movie where there are intertwining characters and scenes and plights, and you're like, oh, I want to get back to this other plot. I don't care about this one. This movie, you don't have that. Like, each plot is completely engrossing. Like, you want to know what happens in each one. Absolutely great movie. You know, it's kind of Tarantino style, Siemens them at the forefront. And plus, this movie's just a pop culture icon. A lot of the, you know, a lot of these movies are. You gotta watch it for that. Notting Hill, 1999. The life of a simple bookshop owner changes when he meets the most famous film store in the world. I know this is one of those movies you think, this is not like the other movies, but deserves to be included. It's such a smart script that's a fairy tale for two people from different worlds. You want this relationship to work. And it's that hope that drives the movie. The structure and pacing is well done, and this uses silence to such great effect. I love it when movies use silence well to make us think, to make us question, to make us imagine. While Hugh Grant's bumbling, nervous character becomes grating, Julia Roberts does such an amazing job. You completely feel the emotions she radiates. I've seen it before, I've enjoyed it before, but I forgot just how good this is. It is a really good movie. 7. 19. 95. Two detectives are working a veteran, hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motives. This is a murder mystery with each crime more horrific than the last. What also sets this apart is the production, directing, and an excellent script. Every scene has a purpose, building story and character. Each crime scene surprises and horrifies, but this case doesn't unfold in typical fashion. While the ending is lauded, as well it should be, the entire movie is incredible. It's just that that ending, it leaves you with so many feelings and this image imprinted on your mind that you can't forget it. But Seven, what a movie. And last on my best list, 
best movie list is Barbie 2023. Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. This is smart, it's clever, and it's funny. And that's not something I originally expected. I figured this movie is going to be one big commercial for toys. It's not. It never loses sight of the message, and it never gets bogged down in unnecessary details. Like, this movie, some things just can't be explained. This movie doesn't try to explain it, and it's very smart for that. It uses a toy as a springboard for a poignant message about femininity, both the ideal and the reality. And it's impressive that this story was created based on a toy line. And this does such a great job of building on an idea that provides viewers something to ponder and discuss after the movie. I did have honorable mention. I don't usually have honorable mentions, but I will tell you why this honorable mention after I tell you a little bit about this movie. Brief Encounter, 1945. Meeting a stranger in a railway station, a woman is tempted to cheat on her husband. I often find it difficult to enjoy older films as they feel too stagey or too fake. It feels like stage acting. And film has progressed so far that these movies from this era often feel out of place. This movie managed to feel relevant, relying on a strong story about two married people that begin a relationship. We see their friendship grow from a chance encounter and progress to more. They know they shouldn't, but their feelings cloud their judgment. The way this ends is masterful. It manages to impart that same heartache to the viewer that the characters feel. This movie is really good. The ending is impressive. And so it didn't quite make my best list because these movies just often feel out of place, especially since I've been watching movies more recently. You know, I'm, I'm just more in tune with the movies I grew up with, which 80s, 90s movies. These movies just, it feels a little bit like mimicry or some kind of artifice. It just doesn't feel realistic. Like it, it, it just doesn't feel like that. But this movie, I was so impressed at how modern it felt. And rarely does a movie from the 40s feel modern, and this did. And that's why I got my honorable mention. All right, so I got my bottom three movies of 2023. Bloodshot 2020. Ray Garrison, a slain soldier, is reanimated with superpowers. What a bland movie. The plot is a mashup of tropes and action scenes. The most, or possibly the only interesting scene of the movie, is set in a cloud of flour, which is flammable, and the movie ignores that. This is nearly two hours of little more than Vin Diesel punching things while getting shot. The movie hopes nanobots are enough to cover all the consistencies. They're not. This is not a movie. It is a shell of a movie. Grey Matter, 2023. Aurora has known all her life from her mother that she that the superhuman abilities they have also make them dangerous. Now Aurora will discover the truth about one fateful and fatal night. The story leaves a lot to be desired. While it looks nice, the story plods along until it decides to wrap any loose ends as quickly as possible little regard to the rest of the narrative. This concludes, and all I could think was, that's it. That's what we get. The ending is completely unsatisfactory. Then again, the middle isn't very exciting either. In this movie, uh, you know, HBO does their Project Greenlight, and I don't know if this newest season was on HBO or not. I don't recall. I did watch it, so I wanted to watch this movie because it's part of Project Greenlight, and it was not good. The Current War 2017. The dramatic story of the cutthroat race between electricity titans Thomas A. Edison and George Westinghouse to determine whose electrical system would power the modern world. All the facts about the burgeoning electrical industry are here. This just doesn't present a compelling story. I never cared. It feels much longer than its runtime, which is never a good thing. And I'm surprised at how many stars are in this when it's so incredibly boring. It fails to capture the wonder and the mystery of electricity, 
which probably should be the first goal of this movie. Like, people should be excited about electricity and how it changed the world. And this movie just misses it. I don't think editing could make this a good movie. The script just needs a complete rewrite. This doesn't have a story arc. It's a bunch of scenes loosely tied together that fail to entertain. So that's my best and worst movies of the year. Let's check out the best TV shows I watched. And I've never had like a worst TV show I've watched because most of the, pretty much if a TV show is bad, I'll just quit watching it. Like, you know, you reach a point where you're like, yeah, this is not good. I'm not going to watch the whole thing. And if I don't watch the whole thing, I can't really review the whole thing. So I watched 100 and, as of right now, 135 seasons of television this year. This is my top 12. Uh, again, I don't have any worst categories. I just, if their TV show is bad, I can't force myself to watch that. You know, a movie's easy. Hour and a half, two hours. I can make it through that. So this is based solely on what I watched this year, not what released this year. That's just the way I do it. So in chronological order of what I watched this year, The Last of Us, 2023, season one. Joel and Ellie, a pair connected through their harshness of the world they live in, are forced to endure brutal circumstances and ruthless killers on a trek across post-pandemic America. While it's basically zombies, this series focuses on the humans trying to survive it. Zombies just provide that sense of dread throughout. Episodes show us the world, the dangers, and the stakes. Each episode acts as a chapter ending on a great note that's usually some kind of cliffhanger that you're like, dang, I got to watch the next episode. Over the season, we see two characters begin to rely on each other. And one of the best things about this show is the world building. We see characters struggling to survive and forcing their will on others. We see the protagonists team up and square off. It shows us an abandoned world that feels accurate. The world itself is one of my favorite parts of this show. The season does emotional storylines and great action scenes equally well. It's great. It's well written. And I just couldn't wa wait to watch each new episode. Like it ended, each episode ended really well and it made me want to watch the next episode. I, great show. Friday Night Lights ran from 2006 to 2011. I've seen it before. Wanted to watch again because I just, I like this show. It's a drama that follows the lives of the Dillon Panthers, one of the nation's best high school football teams and their head coach, Eric Taylor, Coach Taylor. This is a show about relationships packaged in high school football. These are characters that we get to know. We root for them in spite of themselves. It's the characters that face the worst that we root for the most. Now, the turn of it is Coach Taylor as he tries to teach and lead his team where every Friday night they'll face incredible competition. What's most engrossing is what these characters face off the field. During the series, whether you play football or not, you'll want Taylor as your coach. The man is awesome. This show does an excellent job developing characters. It keeps you engaged throughout. And the series does shift in season four. And while it's still excellent, you're likely going to miss the original cast in the last two seasons because they graduated high school and they moved on. Despite that, I still watched all of season four and five and enjoyed the heck out of it. Better Call Saul season six. This is the final season of the show. In Better Call Saul, Jimmy McGill is a former grifter who is now a lawyer. He wants to do the right thing. But at the same time, becoming a lawyer hasn't been the dream he imagined. We're into the final season of a series that has been absolutely great from the start. So, of course, you're going to watch the final season. But this show as a whole has been great. This show, this season, it's a masterclass in narrative storytelling. From the tension and anticipation to the payoffs and reveals, this story is absolutely excellent. Each character's plight is completely gripping. The acting is top-notch. Each shot and every scene has a distinct artistry to it. This show doesn't waste anything. Being the final season 
There are a few cameos, but the show never goes too far with that. What a journey this season, this show as a whole, has been. Better Call Saul. I loved it. Jury Duty 2023 show. It follows the workings of an American jury trial through the eyes of Ronald Gladden, a juror who is unaware the entire case is fake. Everyone except him is an actor, and everything that happens is carefully planned. This is an ingenious concept, and this is absolutely hilarious. It's subtle humor, always just on the edge of being believable. And that's what makes it so much fun as we walk through an entire trial full of awkward moments and intriguing characters. This guy, Ronald, he is stuck in the middle, and he's trying to solve a case. He's the only one, though. With each episode, this gets just a bit sillier. An absolutely amazing ending makes a great show that much better as the truth is revealed, and then Ronald gets to talk to the actors out of character, leading to many touching moments as well as revealing the moments they almost broke character. Great show. I feel like it's one of the shows that you want to recreate, you know, because you got to make another season out of it. You can't do courtroom drama again. I don't know. I don't know what you would do, though. But great season. Succession. The final season, season four. Logan Roy and his four children control one of the biggest media and entertainment conglomerates in the world. When the aging patriarch begins to step back from the company, the children contemplate what the future and company will hold for them. This is the final season to a show that has been nothing short of excellent. Each season, we see this family try to scheme and scam their way to power despite how much they already have. This season does a little bit with... Less of the patriarch Logan Roy, but less of him as the children, as always, potting against each other as they try and fought, try and fail to live up to the reputation of their father. Since the first episode, we've asked who will lead the company this season. The final season promises to answer that question. The Bear season twenty, the Bear season two came out in twenty twenty three. I love the Bear. A young chef from the fine dining world returns to Chicago to run his family's sandwich shop. The first season was amazing. The second season doesn't skip a beat. This trades one set of dramas for another, but the dialogue is just as sharp, the world still engrossing, and the character development fully realized. Carmen and Sydney want to open a fine dining restaurant. The obstacles are many, money is tight, and it's going to take everyone for any hope of reaching their goal. This season, it's just an absolute delight. There's nothing else you can say about it. The Wonder Years Season 2, this is the remake of The Wonder Years, and this is the... End of the show. It is not picked up for season three, which I really enjoyed it. Man recalls experiences growing up in Montgomery, Alabama during the late 1960s. This is just a great show that captures a time period, but still feels completely relevant as it's about a kid growing up with his family. While we see the difficulties the family faces during the time period, it's easier to relate to Dean as he faces triumph and disappointment while becoming a teenager. This is just a, I mean, the season two just as good as the first season, and I just wish this season had more episodes. The show does such a great job developing characters and episode arcs. It is a spinoff of the original Wonder Years, but looking at a family that's a black family, you know, that, like how their experiences differ, it's just such a great sister show. And I can't believe this wasn't picked up for more seasons. I can't believe this canceled. I thought it was absolutely great. What We Do in the Shadows, Season 5. It's a look into the nightly lives of four vampires who have lived together on Staten Island for over a century. This show excels at being utterly ridiculous while the characters are completely earnest about their silly plights. It is my favorite kind of humor. It isn't laugh out loud funny, but it's just so clever. Like, you just appreciate it. It's the type of show you should watch every episode twice to see what you miss, because it's just a joke a minute. There's visual gags. There's a lot of depth. And this season does a great job with a serialized story 
as secondary plots are inserted into every episode. I could not wait for the next episode. And this show never once disappointed. I just loved every minute of it. It is such a blast. Band of Brothers, this is a miniseries. It is, I've said it before, I'm happy to say it again. This is the greatest season of television, period. In Band of Brothers, it's the story of East of Easy Company of the U.S. Army, 101st Airborne Division, and their mission in World War II, Europe from Operation Overlord to VJ Day. This isn't just a good show. It is amazing. It is the greatest season of television I've ever seen. From the story, the characters, the inspiration, everything about this season is simply exhilarating. It's a depiction of war that shows the excitement, disappointment, destruction, and futility that is intrinsic of war. Over the season, we get to know and care about these characters, and we fear for their safety. Throughout, and especially when the season ends, we're touched by their bravery and sacrifice. The writing is impeccable, and there are just so many smart writing choices in each episode that lend to the narrative. The writers rose to the occasion of capturing a monumental event. The Fall of the House of Usher 2023 miniseries. To secure their fortune and future, two ruthless siblings build a family dynasty that begins to crumble when their heirs mysteriously die one by one. I really enjoy Flanagan's work, and this is no exception. This exemplifies how adaptations must evolve for a new medium, and the real-world take of a pharmaceutical company and the direction this goes in is excellent, and it's timely. While you might can guess what's at play that doesn't diminish how entertaining this remains. I was engaged with each episode as this manages to add just enough depth to the characters. The final episode does a fine job wrapping plot points and ending an already great series on a strong note. The West Wing. So I've not quite completed the entire series. I've watched it before. Love the show. It's inside the lives of staffers in the West Wing at the White House. And so I'm currently watching, I think I'm in season three, I believe. And I'm enjoying the show just as much, if not more, the first time. It delves into politics through people, and the actors are fantastic. It's just, it's certainly idealistic, and I like that about it. I appreciate the show's idealistic. It always looks for the best path through every deadline as we explore real issues. Despite the often complex ideas, this also has a lot of humor. I mean, it feels like a workplace comedy at some points, and it feels realistic because of that. It's such a fun show, and I just, I can't, wait to find a free moment to watch another episode scavenger's rain season one was in 2023 this is animated and it follows the crew of a damaged deep space freighter stranded on a beautiful but dangerous planet this kept getting better with each episode this world is mesmerizing and deadly as we follow three separate groups each group has a unique experience in this world and none of them are good this world is out to kill them we see them struggle to survive but this planet it's just too much the final episode ties everything together very well. This was such a great show, and the ending makes it even better. While I wish the animation was more detailed, this does a great job of building the world and creating a compelling narrative. That is my best list from the year. From movies to TV, you just got it. That is it. I'll talk to you next week, and you can count on that. This has been another rousing episode of Fridays on the Fly. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm Ward. Go to our website, fridaysonthefly.com. From there, you can find everything episodes, iTunes links, Stitcher, whatever you need from Fridays on the Fly, you can find it there. So go there, check us out. <laughs>